All right, let's turn to Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, we will begin reading in verse number 1. Acts 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you for the opportunity to once again meet together as your people, and thank you for the opportunity to remember uh, your great love for us, your sacrifice for us, how that you bled and died for us, for our sins. You took our place. And Lord, we're certain that we do not fully comprehend and fully appreciate what you did for us. Lord, we're ashamed that uh, we, do, we don't get it better than we do. But Lord, thank you for what you have told us and what you have, the, the understanding that you have given to us. Lord, let, I pray, that uh, sacrifice, what you have done, uh, be the center point of our life and uh, Put all that we do, all of our service, all of our devotion uh, in, the, in the light of the gospel, that we would be, as they say, gospel-centered. As we look at your word tonight, I pray that you would help us to respond to your word in the same way, in, in, in respect to that, that gospel truth, even as we look at these things here with this missionary church. Bless our time tonight. Lord, truly meet with us and teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So what you have at the end of chapter 12 is you have the, uh, in verse 25, the Bible says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now we know the ministry that they had was they were given a specific job to, uh, to take this offering that the church had gathered, the church of Antioch had gathered to send to the uh, poor saints at Jerusalem as a result of a famine. And so uh, they had taken, Barnabas and Saul had went together to take this, uh, to take this offering, had proven their faithfulness and their, uh, their, their honor, their honesty in taking this offering. And so they returned to their church. We might call it their home church. That's kind of the terminology we would use. And, uh, and so they, they've come back and we, we're kind of getting a, an insight into the church at Antioch. And uh, something, is, something is happening here. As we've seen the book of Acts, we've seen the, the church spread. We've read about Philip and how he went and went to, uh, to Gaza where the Ethiopian eunuch was. And uh, we, we've read about the, how the different preachers and even just plain Christians went out and told people about Jesus and churches were started in first in Jerusalem and then Judea. And then we saw it in Samaria and then further on north into Galilee and we've seen this grow, but up to this point, we have not seen the church make this kind of expansion. What's happening right here is the first occurrence in the book of Acts 
yea, in all of church history, of what we might, what I might call, this is just how I'll, ter- I'll term it, this is a formal uh, extension of the church out into unknown areas. The church is, at this point, is leaving Palestine. It's leaving this, this area of, the, of, uh, of what we would call the Holy Land and is going to not, not just, remember, all that we've read up to this point, how has the church spread? It's just been kind of incidental. You know, a person here, a person there, and, and you know, it, it wasn't intentional, it wasn't purposeful. But at this point, it's changing. This is what we might call the first occurrence of the missionary church, where the church is formally sending out its own with the express purpose of spreading the gospel among other nations. Now, we know, looking back on that, that that was the Lord's intention all along. It was his intention all along to gift people with that specific set of of gifts that would enable them to spread the gospel in the regions beyond. Now, we know that, but this is the first time it's actually coming to pass. This is the beginning of the missionary church, the missionary church. And really, the church is supposed to be a missionary church. Our church is supposed to be a missionary church. Our church is supposed to be a church that, uh, that loves the work of missions, a church that emphasizes the work of missions, a church that supports the work of missions. But not only that, our church is also supposed to be a church that does the work of missions. And the work of missions is not, you know, I know we, we divide it up neatly into home missions and foreign missions, but really there is no biblical division like that. It's just... The Great Commission is the Great Commission, and it includes both what is local and what is around the world. And the Lord wants us to do both. That's why we've tried to emphasize and, and really uh, really uh, get back with, with the, uh, the evangelism and trying to work, you know, work on getting more opportunities to spread the gospel, and not only in, in the door knocking, but also in the public square. And hopefully, as we go forward into... Uh, some some care care homes with Brother Burgess and and even mission trips and things like that. It's that's all part of the Great Commission. And then sending missionaries, sending missionaries. You know, I want to see, I want to see some more missionaries sent out of our church. That's what I want to see. And that that might that might be a ten year vision. You know, I, I have no idea. I can't I can't speak to that, but. I want to see our church fulfilling the Great Commission here and then also fulfilling it there. And that's what it's all about, being a missionary church. But, you know, and that's what we notice the character of this church is it's really, I might be stretching it a little bit, to be honest, but up through the book of Acts as we've gone these last 12 chapters, we've noticed that the church has kind of matured. Right? They're not kind of reeling and figuring it out as they go. Now, they do have a, a couple things still to figure out. One of which we've already mentioned before is what role does the law have to play in the Christian church? And that's a question that will be answered in Acts 15. But, but they have, they've really kind of been figuring it out. And you can tell. You can tell they've been figuring it out because there have been questions that have arisen and the church has dealt with them. But at this point, the church is stable. Paul has been saved you have Barnabas. There's leaders in the church beyond the 12 apostles. There's leaders in these new churches that are in Judea and Samaria and now in, in Antioch of Syria, which is in the northernmost area of Palestine. 
These churches already have leaders and they're ready, they're, they're mature enough that they're ready to extend out further. And that's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord wants. And so you have these five men. You have Barnabas Simeon, who is called Niger. Interestingly enough, that, that name Niger is from Latin and it means black. So he might have been a black man. Then you have Lucius of Cyrene, which is in the northern part of what we now, uh, what we now call Libya on the coast of Africa the northern coast on the Mediterranean, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you have these men, and notice that they were prophets and teachers. Now, just as a, as a note, a doctrinal note, what is a prophet? Now, I know we think of a prophet as someone who foretells the future, and that's definitely an aspect of being a prophet. But in the New Testament church, there are prophets. There are prophets. Prophet, a prophet... I'll give you the definition from the dictionary, of course, uh, if I can find it, because it just slipped my notes. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Anyway, I, I'll have to find it in just a minute because, ah, here it is. A divinely inspired interpreter, okay, that's, that's kind of what we, we understand to be a prophet, a revealer or a teacher of the will or thought of God or, or, or a person who speaks or is regarded as speaking for or in the name of God. That's a preacher, right? Now, sometimes that overlaps into things like the prophets that God used to write the Scripture and prophets that God used to foretell the future. We've already seen in the book of Acts some, and especially in the Old Testament. But at its core, a prophet is not necessarily future or past or anything like that. A prophet is someone who is speaking in God's place. Remember what, what the Bible says of Aaron? When God met with Moses and Moses was giving God all the excuses at the burning bush, so I can't do this, I'm not eloquent, etc. And God said, I will make you a God to Pharaoh and Aaron shall be thy prophet. That means Aaron would be the spokesman for Moses in this illustration where Moses was God and Aaron was his prophet to Pharaoh. So a prophet is just someone who speaks in, in, the, uh, in the place of, of the Lord. But you see these people are, you have prophets and teachers. And notice verse 2. And as, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now here's what I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to lay out a proposition from this. You see these five men, they're preaching, they're teaching, they're ministering. Ministry is for all Christians. That's what I want us to get tonight. One of the things, at least. Ministry is for all Christians. If you look back at, if you look at, back at Numbers chapter 11, look there if you would very quickly. Numbers chapter 11. I want to show you an example. Because of the word prophet is mentioned in the text we're looking at. Numbers 11. Verse 24, And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto them and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that's good? 
When you read that, do you think, well, that's, that's a good thing, or is that a bad thing? Come on now, give me some feedback. I would say it's a good thing, right? The Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and they prophesied, all right? And did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other, Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that, that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. All right, so they went among the people. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. So they're preaching, right? I would say they're serving the Lord. They're ministering, right? And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of, the, one of his young men, answered and said, Lord, my, my Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. You see, Joshua was jealous in place of Moses. Not for himself, but for Moses. Moses, you're the only one that's supposed to be prophesying here. You're the only one that God has gifted to do this. Well, and we know in this case, these 70 to lighten the load of Moses. This is all of God, but God took that spirit, part of that spirit for Moses to help lighten the load for Moses, right? So some of Moses' spirit went on, went on these 70, right? Well, Joshua's like, no, no, only Moses. You're the only one that's supposed to be prophesying. It's not, it's not right. They should, they should just sit down and shut up. <laughs> and Moses says, if I might paraphrase, why are you jealous for me? I want all of God's people to prophesy. I want all of God's people to minister. I would that all of God's people served God. I wasn't the only one. I don't want to be the only one who's serving God. I don't want to be the only one who's living for God. I don't want to be the only one who's preaching. I don't want to be the only one who's teaching, who knows the Word of God and is telling other people, who is speaking in God's place. That's prophet, right? Moses saying, Moses, the meek man that he was, did not have to, have to be the only person with the, quote, limelight. Moses wanted all of God's people to be God's servants. You know, when I thought about that, I thought to myself, just, again, just being transparent. I thought to myself, that really describes my heart for our church. I want all of God's people, everyone in our church, to be ministering to, to the Lord. Now, there is a difference between ministering to the Lord, serving God, and coming to church. Coming to church is something, being present, coming and sitting in the pew, listening to the Word of God is good and right. And you know that before, before I became the pastor and took this role, that's what I did. And Brother Stewart, having, having moved out of the role of pastor, what is he doing? 
He's listening to the word. He's here. That's right. That's good. But that's not the same as serving. You see, the Lord wants us to not only be here, but He also wants, to be, wants us to be active, to engage with our time, with our abilities, with our money, with our gifts, to serve the Lord and serve one another. He doesn't want us just to be present. He wants us to be present, yes, that's kind of the entry point, but he wants us to be engaged. Every one of us ought to be saying, what can I do? What can I do for God in the church? What, how can my life be used to serve and minister to God? Every one of us should have the heart where we're saying to ourselves, I don't want to just sit and listen. I want to sit and listen, yes, but not, not, not just that. I have to do something. I want to do something for God. If we went to our job, you know, often our jobs, we serve our bosses, right? Right? That's, that's biblical, you know that? Serving your master. That's a biblical truth. We serve our families. We serve the different duties that we have, our children sometimes. We serve different organizations and, and, and activities that we're engaged in. None of that's bad. But let's not serve everything but God. Right? We, we give our time and our effort and our energy to all these things, and many of them are necessary, and we must but then when it comes to the Lord, we just sit and spectate. The only person that we're not serving is the Lord. If we went into our job and we just sat down <laughs> and listened, your, your boss would be like, well, you're here. You're present, right? Check, <laughs> you're accounted for. That's better than not being here, but he wants you to work. Right? Your boss, they want you to work. In other words, they want you to serve. They have jobs for you to do, to use your intellect, to use your gifts, your talents, your training, your education, whatever, to, to, to maximize your, your usefulness to the company, to the company's profit, right? That's what you're there for. Well, God, listen, God has gifted every single one of you in some way. Look at, look at a few verses with me. First, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. First Corinthians 12, verse 7. The Bible says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit, with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Now, we, we know this is talking about gifts. This actually mentions in verse 4 the diversities of gifts. So the Spirit of God gives us gifts, spiritual gifts. But notice what it says in verse number 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to, what's that next word? 
every man. Now, this is woman, right? Anthropos. That's, that includes women. It's given to every man to profit with all. You know what that means? That means every child of God in this room, God has given you a gift. He's given you some ability, some competence, right? Some way that you can serve Him. Not just listen, and that's good and right, but serve. He says, To one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Notice, dividing to every man several as he will. As he will. Back in the first verse, we looked at verse 7, it says, he's given these gifts to every man to profit with all. In other words, to profit for the good of the whole. Look at Romans, if you would. Chapter number 12. I'll show you one more thing on this subject. Romans 12. Verse 5. Romans 12, verse 5 says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So what you have here is you also have a list of gifts. But notice with each gift, what's the formula? With each gift is the Lord says, all right. In 1 Corinthians it says, every one of us has been given a gift has been given gifts, sometimes more, sometimes less. That's God's business. But the Lord has given some of us gifts. He's given each one of us gifts. What does He expect us to do? In Romans chapter 12, the Lord says, you've been given this gift, well, use it. That's what He's, the formula is, if you have this gift, use it. If you have this gift, use it. If you have this gift, use it. The Lord has not given us gifts. Number one, Every one of us has gifts to be used to, for the church's uh, profit and the glory of God. Every one of us has those. Number two, the Lord expects us to use those gifts in His service and not to sit and let them be unused. He says, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on. Or teach on teaching. Or exhort on it. In other words, you have this gift, use it. Mark 10, verse 45. Listen to this, please. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. To minister. You know what that means? It means serve. It means serve. 
Galatians 5.13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use, use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Sir, listen now, serving one another is not just shaking someone's hand and saying hello and, and you know, having, you, we ought to do all that and we ought to have love for one another and that kind of thing. But it's actually doing stuff, <laughs> right? To serve means you're expending your life and resources and time for God's glory and for others' sake. That's, that's what it means. For, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Listen to this verse. This is interesting. For they themselves show of us, this is of the Thessalonians, what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve, not believe, serve the living and true God. You see, they turned to God, they, tur- they repented, they turned away from sin, away from their I- idols. Of course, they, they believed in God as well, but the ultimate end was not to just sit and believe, but it was then to serve also. So let me, let me just kind of bring this down. Here's what I want to say is... We should all have a desire. We should all be looking for opportunities to serve, looking for ways to serve. You know, there's places to serve in the nursery. There's places to serve in the flowers and the decorations. There's places to serve in the cleaning and tidying up. There's places to serve in, in, in repairs and, and those kinds of things. There's places to serve in evangelism. There, hopefully, Lord willing, in the future, there'll be places to serve in a nursing home or a care home. There's places to serve at, at, you know, helping people in our church that need help, going to visit people that need help in their visiting. There's places, listen, if you want to serve God, if you want to minister and work for God. There are ways to do it. But the question, the first thing has to be done is we all have to come to the point. Every one of us has to come to the point. I had to come to the point where I, I got on my knees before God and I said, God, what do you want me to do? I want to do something for you. I don't want to just sit there. I want to do. I want to serve. I want to be active. I want to be in the game. I don't want to just be on the bench. Have you ever gotten, have you ever, have you ever taken your relationship to God and, and say and, and, and told God in prayer, Lord, I want a place to serve. I want something to do for you. Show me what you want me to do. I guarantee if you go to God with the right heart, with sincerity in your heart, God will provide you a place of service. It might be preaching. It might be teaching. It might be evangelism. It might be something everybody sees and it might be something nobody sees. Would God that all of God's servants were prophets? There should be no spectators among us. Say amen. There should be no spectators among us. Everybody should have their hands dirty. <laughs> Everybody should have their hands dirty. Everybody, all of us, spiritually speaking, should have calluses on our hands. Have those thick, burly hands. You know why? Because we're working. We're doing. We're serving. 
all of us, this, this, this church, our church should be a church full of servants. And I'm not referring, of course, the humility of being a servant, of course, all of that. But what, what I'm trying to say is it should be a church full of working people. People that are looking for a thi- looking for a thing to do, so a ministry to get involved in, not looking for a way to get out of it, but looking for a way to get into it. That's what we should be doing. You know, you think about these ladies, they're cooking, you know, they have meals and, and they cook meals. We could listen, we could do, we could give people a lot more meals if more people wanted to help. We could do, in other words, we could do more. If there was, there's always an issue with manpower. We'll see that in just a minute. But I'm just trying to think, I'm just trying to, to, to make you see there's all kinds of places that, that ways that you can serve one another and serve God. You know what? My job, the way I view my job is making sure that our church has an abundant supply of opportunities to serve. And I'm trying, I'm praying about that. I'm trying, I'm trying to do that. That's one, one reason we're trying these different activities and the evangelism and different things. We're, we're trying that because I want to give you as many opportunities to serve. Now, listen, I just want to make something clear, lest anybody misunderstand. When we have activities, whether it be this, uh, the going to the Arboretum or whether we have uh, the, the, the banquet or whether we have evangelism or a mission trip or whatever, the ark, whatever, when, when, we, when we say, well, we're, we're going to have this activity, that is not laying an obligation upon you that you either come or you're a second-class member or something like that. No, well, it's an opportunity. That's what I want you to understand. It's an opportunity. We want everybody to be involved. I want everybody to be involved who has a heart to be involved. But to have a heart to be involved, we have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I... I don't, I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to only be a, I want to, I want to serve you. I want to minister to you. You have given me gifts. You've given me things that I can do. I'm going to, I want to show me where to plug in. I'm going to plug in. I'm going to, I'm going to get active. I'm going to use my energy and time and intellect and all these. I'm going to use those. I'm going to use my hands. I'm going to use my, my, like I was saying with cooking and my ability to cook. And these ladies do that. I don't have that ability. (laughs) I just let my wife cook. All of us have abilities. I just... Ministry is for all Christians. Would God, all of God's people were servants. Go back to Acts... Chapter 12, if you would, or uh, 13, I'm sorry. Notice, verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. From whom did God pick? these people for a special mission from the church. Number one, they were, they were in the church, verse one. They were in the church. Listen, this is where the work of God starts. Local New Testament churches. 
you know, if we're aloof or we're, we're half in, that's not where the service of God is. When the Lord's looking for somebody, to, to, he's got a special job to do, a special calling, a special task to perform. You know, he's, he's looking for people that are both feet in the church. They are, they are wholeheartedly in, all in. Those are the people he's looking at. Second, from what group is the Lord looking to send someone on a special task, like Barnabas and Saul being the first missionaries of the New Testament church? A group that was already serving the Lord. If we, we are sorely mistaken if we think we're going to sit back and wait on God to tell us to do something. That's what opportunity is all about. Avail yourself of the opportunity and when you are faithful and when I am faithful in what we have the opportunity to do, then from that group, the Lord will call someone to some some other task, some maybe special task, some special mission. And you know, often the Lord picks from the best in the church and the church goes, oh, that's an important person, <laughs> right? And the church feels it. But you know why? It's because it is expected. Listen, it is expected that when the Lord chooses, he looks at that pool, these, as an example, these five men who are serving God and giving God all they got, when he, take, when he chooses two of them and it leaves only three left, he expects there's going to be more coming up that are going to fill their shoes and are going to grow up and also serve God and, and it'll perpetuate like that. That's what he expects. There should be a constant replenishing of this. And when we look at the concept of missions, which is what this is all about, you're going to get a little bit of Bible college material here. This is where, listen, this church is where mission starts, right here. These mission boards and all that stuff, you know, people like mission boards, they talk about it and all that stuff, and they have their big... None of that would happen if it wasn't for local churches. You know, mission boards, they borrow, they borrow from local churches. The work happens here. People are called to the mission field, like I was down there on that, that altar right there, on that, on that mourner's bench right there, is where I told the Lord I'd go to Cambodia, right down there. In, in a local church, not no big, big something or another, not well-known, whatever, it was right here. People heard the gospel in Cambodia. People are saved and living for God in Cambodia as a result of that. One local church. And now there's people in Cambodia and hearing the radio programs and all those kinds of things, and it's a direct result of what the Lord did in one local church. This is where a mission starts. This is a missions church. This church, Choice Hills, ought to be a mission church. But you know what? We have to have people serving here if we expect to expand our church's ministry in other places. The expansion begins when we have a healthy and a vibrant church. So they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Notice, hold your place here real quick. Go to Matthew chapter 9. I want to show you something. Verse 36. Our Lord 
sees the people. Verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know, that's why we have missionaries in. One of the reasons we see, by, by, by means of fo- photography, videography, we see what their eyes see. We, he saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion. The visuals affect our heart. And the Bible says in verse number 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. That's what I was saying earlier. Listen, the issue is always, the issue is never opportunity. The problem is never opportunity. Our church's, our church's issue is never going to be opportunity. It's manpower. It is people that are willing to say, I will serve. I will find a place where am I needed. I want to do something. The laborers are few. You see that? The problem has always been manpower. Not lack of opportunity, but lack of people that are willing to do it, do the, do the work. How, listen, listen, Choice Hills. How, how much more evangelism could we do? If more people were willing to do it. How many more people could we serve? You, you think of Br- Brother Burgess and getting into care homes, helping him, you know, and, and going. How, how many care homes could we, you know, that is a function of how many people are willing to do it. And, and listen, Mo, it's not like Moses is just doing everything. You know, if you compare Moses to the, to the preacher, Moses is saying, I want all of you to serve God, <laughs> Right? The issue is manpower. This is why the Lord says in Romans chapter, two, chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's service. Your body is what you do, right? The activity that you engage in. It's not so much your heart. Your heart comes first. But this is your body. Verse 38. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest. So the Lord says, you got a burden? You see something needs to be done? Especially in the area of missions. The Lord says, stop. Talk to me about it. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So we see a burden. A lot of people are, are questioned this. They have this question about, well, do I, do I have a burden or a call? You know, they see mi- pi- pictures to some mission field. Is it a burden or a call? Well, here's the thing. You get a burden and God stirs your heart. And let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten a burden? Have you ever got, got, gotten a real burden for a mission field? And you've seen maybe some pictures or heard something and, and you, you heard the stories of, of, of the missionary and you have really gotten a burden to a degree that you prayed for that place. Have you ever, has that ever happened to you? I hope so. And you said, God, listen, please send somebody there. That's what the Lord says to do. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. How can we pray for those people? How can we pray for God to send laborers to that place without it affecting us? 
because it always does. How can we pray for God to send forth labors if we're, not, if we're unwilling to labor and go ourselves? And that's usually how it works. Back in Acts chapter 12, we see this, an example of this actually happening. To whom did the Holy Ghost speak? The Holy Ghost spoke to the church. Notice this. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they, the church, had fasted and prayed. Who prayed? The church. And laid their hands on them. Who did? The church. They sent them away. Who? The church. You see the emphasis on the church here? The church is all in. Not only are they living for God, but they're all behind whoever God is sending out. But ultimately, God is the initiator. And they take their, uh, they, they see that they recognize that the, the Holy Ghost is calling these men. The Lord is the initiator. He's the Lord of the harvest. He determines who goes where. It's the church's job to recognize that and assent to that and say, yes, the Lord is doing this. That's why they laid their hands on them. It was a symbol of the approval of the men and it was a symbol of the sanctioning of their work. This is of God. We are with them. We believe this is of God and these men are worthy of this work. You think about, you know, the church's job and laying on of hands. It's not just a ceremony. You think of an ordination service. It's not just a ceremony. Our church has no business ordaining someone if we have questions about that person, right? The church's blessing was upon them. And so you see in verse number, verse number three, they sent them away at the very end. The church sent them away. Verse four, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Here you have two senders. You have the Holy Ghost as a sender and you have the church as a sender. And that's exactly the way it should be. Because God is the one that calls. God is the one that sends people. But the church recognizes that and says, okay, we're behind it. And then you get down to chapter 14 as we get ready to close here. End of chapter 14, verse 24. This is the companion verse. What I call it in my class at Tabernacle is the prototype of New Testament missions because it sets the example. Verse 24 says this, And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how, it had, how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. The return of the missionaries, they went full circle. Sent from the church, did the work of God, came back to the church. Talked about what God did. It provides accountability to the missionaries because it, they know they're going to have to tell about what they were doing. You know what? That's right. Our church ought to demand accountability from the missionaries that we send out and from the missionaries we support. Right? Right. Right. Number two, when that missionary comes back, you know what he brings with him? Spiritual encouragement, reminders, refreshment, motivation. Why? Because we're hearing, the church is hearing what God has been doing in other places. And you know what it does? It brings that great commission right back in front of us again. And the process is repeated. This is why we have missionaries in. And I want to tell you, this is why we have a missions conference. 
So April 17th through the 21st of next year, Lord willing, we're going to be having a missions conference. April 17 to 21, Wednesday to Sunday. And we're going to be inviting missionaries in. You know what? This meeting, that meeting ought to be the highlight. It ought to be, it ought to be the biggest, biggest thing on our calendar. Not just as a church, but, but for us in, as individuals, as individual parts of the church, it ought to be the highlight of our calendar. You know what? When that happens, there's going to be opportunities to serve. You know that? Because there's going to be missionaries that need to be taken care of, need, need to have their needs met. There's going to be missionaries that are going to, are going to need somebody to, to host them, that is, you know, help them with whatever they need, kind of take care of them. It's going to cost money. We're going to have some activities that people are going to need to be, we're going to need people to be involved in. And you know what? You would do yourself well to get around these missionaries and just learn from them. Talk to them. Hear what they have to say. Hear what they've been through. Because uh, at least one of the missionaries that's, that's going to be coming is a veteran missionary. Probably at least two of the families that are coming are going to be veteran missionaries. They have already been on the mission field for a decade or more. We need to, our kids need to get around these missionaries. And all of these things combined will hopefully stir us up. We pray the Lord would stir us up through these things. Now, Brother Ari, you can go ahead and come. But Joseph, I just want to ask you a question. As we think about this missionary church, we see these people serving. Where did the, how did a missionary church start? It started with a church whose, whose members were serving the Lord. We're looking not for a way to get out of service, but for a way to get in. Looking for an opportunity. I just want to ask you a question. And we're going to have an invitation. And I know I don't do regular invitations a whole lot, that kind of thing, but this is one. I want to challenge you. If God has spoken to your heart on, on this question, I want to challenge you to come down here and talk to God about it. And if you are one that needs, that needs to come to God and say, God, I haven't been willing to serve you like I should, but I want to get that right. I want to give myself to you. I want to encourage you to do that. But all right, lead us in song, brother.